0: Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. Hello, um, I'm Victor Paul Harmatz. I'm a pediatric gastroenterologist at um, UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital, Oakland um uh today uh we will uh, uh spend some time talking about a very uh, rare but important uh and clinically significant um uh, lysosomal storage disease and this is um Farber's disease and i always like to deal with history it, it brings to to life the the disease process. Rather than memorizing characteristics, you can relate it to, to famous people. And Sidney Farber, who was an immunologist, pathologist in the 1940s, 50s, 60s at Boston Children's Hospital, first presented a case in 1947 at a, a MAO Foundation lecture. And then in 1952, Reported three cases, and then a 57 publication. They had a very detailed biochemistry evaluation of the of these three cases. So, the overall, he called this a lipogranulomatous disease. It was it was lipid in basis, and the storage, foamy storage, formed granulomas that he could see in variety of tissues and. He sort of wondered if this is an inflammatory disease like or christian or is this more an inherited storage disease like niemann pick disease? And it probably is more on the second secondary. And he, he said, you know, these three cases are quite similar, but the next 20 may be very different, which to some extent you, you find is true. And so the three cases he described all survived less than two years, they had the classic features that, that John, the triad that John Mitchell emphasized in another lecture, the subcutaneous nodules, the joint involvement and in the horse cry, plus multiple other findings. When they looked at the biochemistry, they saw the granulomas, the foamy cell infiltration in many, many tissues, and the, the storage tissue was sphingomyelin that they picked out. So this overview slide on barber disease, it is lysosomal storage disease. It is a sphingolipidosis that we mentioned. It's autosomal recessive, which is true of most of the lysosomal storage diseases. Although we have we have other rare X particularly excellent forms of uh, lysosomal storage disease, it's due to a mutation, ASAH1 gene mutation. I'm sure that Dr. Chukwin emphasized this in his lecture, and this gene mutation leads to a deficiency of acid ceramidase enzyme, and this deficiency of an enzyme, which you can see in this diagram, leads to an inability to digest ceramides. So you have a buildup of of ceramide, which has generally toxic properties within cells, and it's extremely rare. It has a lot, large continuum, progresses with age, all of which John Pro and Dr. Sutton emphasized in their talks. The two forms that have got garnered the most interest in probably in the last 10 years are classic Farber disease, which we recognize as a continuum and now accounts for many of the types that ran all the way from one to seven. It's really easier to think of it as a continuum. And a separate disease called SMA-PME, spinal muscular atrophy with progressive myoclonic epilepsy. And, and again, they, they may just be continuum. We tend to see there too, there's an alpha unit and a Beta unit and subunit in the enzyme. And we tend to see more of the SMAPME in the alpha subunit. At Barber, we see more in the beta subunit, but this is not 100%. And Barber itself has CNS abnormality. SMAPME has this muscle weakness, the spinal muscular atrophy, and the myoclonus. Myoclonic epilepsy; it tends not to have cognitive till full-blown seizures emerge. So, very different clinical patterns, possibly on a continuum, all due to the same gene. But most of our focus is really in the Farber side in this. The rest of this lecture. So, these are some pictures from the classic symptoms that we see: the hoarseness and weak cry, dysphonia. You can see the storage within. The airway and make affecting the larynx and and producing these symptoms you see the classic nodules which form over the extensor tendons you can see these same nodules on an ear on the foot they can be very painful without touching they can be painful only with touching there's a lot of variability depending on the severity of the disease on the spectrum and then this this figure outlines the numerous organs that are involved in Barber disease. And it's a good, if you're looking at a, the totality of the patient, you can see that it's not just this classic triad, but keep in mind the triad for recognizing and diagnosing this disease. So, emphasizing we have rapidly progressive all the way to slowly adult recognition disease presents in the 30s, 40s, 50s and patients that are presenting in the first couple of months of life and have very rapidly progressive disease and deaths. So this these are nodules on a patient thought to have moderate disease. And here's a 28-year-old with, very, with a few nodules, a uh, much more slowly progressing disease. Diagnosis of this disease, the most important step, especially when you're dealing with a disease of one in a million as to try to recognize the the triad the horse cry the joint contractures and as soon as you have nodules it's hopefully a giveaway although people in the with sort of moderate progressive disease in the 5 to 10 year age range they're looking at juvenile idiopathic arthritis and sort of completely off track from a inherited metabolic disease so Look anything that looks unusual, and geneticists now are have become very good. If they don't land on a diagnosis very quickly, they move to to that, the third diagnostic technique, which is to send a whole exome or whole genome and come up with a, a diagnosis. Traditionally, it really confirms what you're seeing genetically is to be able to obtain. Enzyme analysis, it, it guards against the possibility that you have a mutation that just is there but does not affect digestion of the product. So, and the same is true with enzyme analysis. You can have an enzyme that can't digest the substrate, the, the artificial substrate that we're presenting. So, we have pseudo deficiencies, we have mutations that have never been seen before, and they're Clinical significance is unknown. So we encourage people to try to to use both. And we hope that there'll be more enzyme analysis available in the future in the United States and Europe. So it's right now it's not as easily obtained as any of the other frequently seen lysosomal storage diseases. And I'll finish with this. Final slide. That just to introduce you again historically. The this is the grand dame of lysosomal storage disease therapies. Elizabeth Newfeld. She at the time she was at NIH in the for many many years. But in the sort of late 60s, early 70s, working with Bradatoni, they discovered that when they mixed cells from a patient with Hurler disease, with cells from a patient with Hunter disease. These cells could secrete a, a material that would cross-correct. And in the 70s, all of the biochemists descended and isolated the enzymes that were responsible for these this cross-correction. And ultimately, this this concept drives all of the enzyme replacement therapies that we have for different diseases. It really is the basis for stem cell transplant works. You have cells that are making enzyme that migrate and deposit in organs, secrete enzyme, and are able to correct locally. It it works on the same basis with gene therapy, you have cells that are infected and are making with the, the gene therapy and make, have the ability to make enzyme and secrete it to be taken up by adjacent cells, moved through a receptor, transported through the cell to the lysosome to do their work. So the future looks really bright. The same paradigms can apply to to Farber disease, and we look forward to early recognition, which is critical, and um, effective therapy. So ultimately, I would predict we'll ask for new- newborn screening once there's an effective therapy in place, and that we will, all of the, the recognition will, will speed up, and we'll have these patients identified in their first month of life. So thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this introduction to Farber, and we'll find, hopefully, your one or two Farber patients in your pediatric careers. Thank you. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit, or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.